We are 24 hours into our 10 days Pentecost, so nine more days to go. Uh, I think we're off to a great start. Um, if you've been noticing, you'll you'll have the same people coming on the hours ahead of you and behind you. So you know you want to get to know those folks a little bit, be ready for those handoffs. But I think everyone is doing a great job so far. Um, you may need links to certain things, uh, prayer guides, different things of that nature, uh, registration link. And Kirk is just going to put one link in the chat that will, uh, it's a link tree, and it kind of gets you to everything you might need for this 10 days Pentecost. So we're just putting that in the chat. If you need access to any of those things, go ahead and click there, and you'll see a list of things come down that you can choose from different resources. So um, I'm going to hand it over to my friend, Greg Healy right now. Greg is longtime part of 10 days. He's the founder of the new breed of business uh, board member with 10 days. And we've also worked together here in new England for many years in the new England Alliance. Greg's a great friend of mine and uh, he's going to be sharing with us about God's way of doing business. So Greg, I'm going to hand it over to you. And if you just leave us three, four minutes at the end for a couple more announcements, that'd be great. Okay. Well, thank you, Jonathan. Welcome, everybody. And I can't call you by your first name because you're just Pastor W. But W, it's good to see you. I was saying to Jonathan that you and I today are the dream team. It rhymes with Pastor W. <laughs> anyway. I hope people got that joke. Those who know Pastor W. Grant, good to see you as well. I see that you're you have a green sheet behind you. That's um uh, no I just knew you were gonna tease me. You couldn't help the roast, brother. Are you in Israel yet? We're leaving on Sunday. <laughs> leaving on Sunday. Okay. I can share your name. That's Grant Barry. Um Hey, today I wanted to take a moment and Jonathan and the team have asked me to teach. And the, the thing that I'd like to teach on today is connected with the heart of 10 days of prayer. So Jonathan, if you want to chime in on this, feel free. But when Jonathan first got this download and vision um, coming out of school in the uh, mid 2000s, he uh, heard a phrase. And that phrase was, drum roll, please. Jonathan, do you, you want to say your phrase that you heard? No, you're, you're doing great, Greg. <laughs> I can't rope him in, but he heard the phrase, uh, Babylon refuses to mourn. And he responded to that by completing the phrase saying, but my people will mourn before my return, meaning Jesus is saying his people will mourn before his return. So that is a key part of understanding what 10 days of prayer is all about. What is 10 days of prayer all about? It's about Jesus's return. Um, that is a reference biblically to Revelation 18. So I thought what we could do today is unpack Revelation 18 and explain it in context. 
Why are these things happening? Why is it important? Why are we longing for the Lord's return? And how are we praying during the 10 days of prayer? Well, one of the main thrusts of the 10 days of prayer is about repentance. And so Revelation 18 describes this repentance. It's one of the last series of repentances that God is calling his people to perform. And critically, if you look, um, by the way, so Revelation 18 talks about harlot Babylon, this woman who is a prostitute who has seduced the whole world, uh, all the kings of the earth, it talks about, all the merchants of the earth, the great men of the earth, Babylon has seduced them. What does she seduce them with? Well, she seduced the peoples of the earth onto self-interest, uh, self-pleasure, self-worship, uh, really not caring about God or others caring about the self. And so if you look at the whole description of Revelation 18, it is an economic description of global commerce and the world we have today. It uses some older language talking about what was valuable then, but they are modern day equivalents and translations, like horses and chariots are mentioned in there. And that gets translated into military power or transportation and other means of moving and warring uh, on the earth. Um, so to take a step back once more, 10 days of prayer is about what? It's about getting right with God in preparation for his return. It's about the bride being made ready. It's about the bride being without spot or wrinkle. It's about the bride being completed in the one new man. It's about the bride and all of the people of the earth who want to respond to the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ coming together as one. This is all part of the preparation. So the thing to understand about God is he is not um, one for lip service only, right? Uh, we know from the scripture that if we just have words but no deeds, our faith is dead, right? So revival and even believing in the gospel of the kingdom cannot be only a spiritual ascent. It must also have an impact in our walk, our lives, our gardens, our jobs, what we do and how we do it. It's really about the entirety of what Pastor W was talking about at the beginning of his chat of the first wedding recorded in Genesis one twenty eight. That wedding was Adam and Eve being brought together by God to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. All the creatures and all the things of the earth are yours. And with that, of course, comes a responsibility. But it's not a spiritual thing only. It is, is, it's as much spiritual as it is physical. So that includes economics. That includes money. That includes finances. That includes all the things that we touch and care about or work with in our lives. Um, I'm going to quote someone from our region here, Jonathan and mine, John Deedles as well, and some others who are on the call. Um, in the Northeast, uh, in the Boston area, we had an amazing man of God, David Wright, come to speak to us in 2018. He was talking about revival. He was talking about racial reconciliation, but he was describing it in terms of revival. 
He was saying we cannot have a revival that is spirit, a spiritual move of God only. It all, that is important and must be included, of course, but we must also have an economic and social revival. And on that day, he was talking about racial justice and racial reconciliation and how through slavery, African-Americans had been exploited for so long and their families smashed on the rocks so badly that there still was a lingering issue to, to be dealt with. And when the church experiences true revival, it must have true unity. And we can't just have a revival with part of the church, but then the black church is not part of it. Uh, so if there's any division or between, say, Pakistan and Israel in the people of God, that must be resolved, and that must be resolved amongst all ethnic groups. But how does it get resolved? It's not in words only. It's not a spiritual matter only. It is through deeds which include economic works and social works. The hands and feet of Jesus are described economically. Helping someone, giving them a cup of cold water. These are physical needs being satisfied. Now, interestingly, God says, don't trust in money, which you can use to buy a lot of those things that physically satisfy. Because if you trust in money, you're going to end up being on the side of the harlot. And those, those, those notions are related in scripture. You cannot worship mammon and God. You cannot worship money and God together. We, in a sense, must die to our desire for money or thinking money is going to be the power that unlocks things. We have to settle that Jesus is the thing, is the person and the king who unlocks everything. It is he who has the power. He can choose to use money, but he may choose not to use money. So therefore, money is not to be worshipped. Well, the harlot in Revelation 18 is uh, a harlot over that great city of the earth. So for anybody who wonders, well, what, what is the modern-day Babylon? Is it the United States? Is it Iraq all over again? Is that why we went to war in the Middle East? What is it? It's very clear at the end of Revelation 17, verse 18, it says that the harlot is uh, that great city over all the kings of the earth or the kings of the earth, which implies all of the nations are involved. In fact, elsewhere in Revelation 18, it refers to that she has seduced all of the nations. So Babylon is a metaphorical city that corrupts everything and everybody. Our, our uh, command that Jesus commanded us in Revelation 18 is to come out of her. That's Revelation 18.4. Not only that, we're going to come out of her because if we don't come out of her, it's she's going to receive a judgment, and in one hour, the whole economic system is going to collapse and be crushed by the hands of God. And there's more to that in that narrative that we'll, we can go into maybe another time. But the important part is, it's this thing that's getting more corrupted over time. If you wonder about that, just take a look at the Daniel statue of Daniel 2. Babylon's described as a statue. It starts off better than it ends up. It starts off with gold material. It ends up with clay and iron. So it deteriorates over time. There's a time where believers are in Babylon. There's a time that Israel was in Babylon. Remember when they were in captivity? But God calls us out of Babylon. 
that great city that has tempted and seduced the whole earth. So it's our job to recognize, well, what is this temptation? It's our job to read Revelation 18 and see that all of the commerce of the earth, the ships, the shipmasters, the captains, by the way, that could be airships, air captains, any mode of transportation that moves around goods and services. It's all about uh, the essential things like wheat uh, or grain, but it's also about the fine things like um, uh, gold and silver and uh, purple, silk and scarlet clothing, the, the things that are rare and hard to and are highly valuable. So it's really an understanding of the eco- economics of the world. Well, what is the system that we have that predominates today in the economics of the world? I'll just suggest to you it is capitalism and it is led by the U.S. dollar and the U.S. markets and the U.S. banking system. When uh, the U.S. gets a cold, the whole, sorry, sneezes, the whole whole world gets a cold, as some will say. So the system that predominates today, which best maps really to this description, is our system of capitalism and commerce. Even uh, communist China has adopted it. Even Russia has adopted it in its form of, hey, if you have money, capital, capital demands a return. Capital must be satisfied. Its shareholders must be satisfied. That is what rules. That is what determines outcomes. That's capitalism. Now, does that sound like you either love the one capital or worship that one or love the other God or his kingdom? It does. So we have to understand that even though capitalism has many notions that are likened to the Bible, like free will, for example. So we in capitalism, we have a free market economy. And that's God's uh, uh, purpose in creating us was to give us a free will. But in coming into obedience of God and coming out of temptations of the harlot of Babylon, It is then unto his kingdom where we surrender back to him all of our rights, including all of our wealth and all of our life, really. Our whole lives are in his hands, are they not? So um, this is is part of the gospel message. So if the gospel getting out to the ends of the earth, this great desire uh, Jonathan and I were recently speaking about of, could it be that in the next 10 years, this gospel is preached to the ends of the earth such that Jesus can return. Um, Let's hope so and pray like John the Revelator prayed that he would come quickly. But we also have to remember it will not be calling up on the phone book and saying, hey, would you like to be saved? Okay, just check this box. That's the kingdom and the gospel. It's not like that. It has to include these matters of our economics and our social interaction, our communities. And the system of capitalism, the system of the Earth's economy, which is described in Revelation 18, is becoming more corrupt because, and as it does, by the way, it says that ultimately it becomes a haunt for jackals and demons. So that's corruption. And and ultimately, what we see is essentially this strategy, uh, which we're headed towards in our global economy today, with with technology's help is to depersonalize everything. If I have enough money and I sit behind my computer screen, I can order anything and do anything. I could live life and manage myself if I have enough money in isolation from others. 
And our financial systems more and more embrace this. Our banking system more and more embraces. You're just a number. You're just a credit score. If you want credit, we're not going to evaluate you on you and your character. We're going to evaluate you on a number scoring system. And you're going to press the button on Rocket Mortgage through Intuit to get your house financed. And that's all you need to do. Just uh, show up and sign some documents. So you could see that this is becoming depersonalized. That's part of the strategy of the harlot. If everybody gets wealthy on the back of the harlot's um, intoxication, she's good with that, but Jesus is not because that's then being turned around and that wealth is being generated off of what? Off of the rest of the people of the earth. And so this is part of why it also shares in there that harlot Babylon is the one who kills the prophets and the apostles. The blood of the saints are in her. This is the this is this notion of the world's way of doing business and the way world's way of doing things does not really care in the end about people. It enslaves people, it corrupts people, it uses people. That's all part of it. The opposite of that is Isaiah 58, the fast that Jesus calls for, where we help people, we don't abuse people, we don't take advantage of people, we don't profit off the poor, we don't profit off of Things that God doesn't want us to profit off of. Well, the harlot system of Babylon does not have any restraint. It does not have any sorrow. It says that in the scripture, right? That she has no sorrow. She has no repentance. She There's no harlot Babylon, which is empowered by the demonic realm and the devil himself, has no interest in repenting and being sorry. So what we have to realize is that this time and this season is coming out of Babylon time. Otherwise, we're going to get judged and go down in flames with the harlot. Um, this is then later embodied in Revelation 18, where all of the business people, all of the merchants mourn and wail and weep. How could this great city have fallen? How could all of this economic wealth be destroyed in one hour? which is biblical terminology for a short period of time. And so if we if we understand that, we're like, wow, we don't we don't want to be under that weight of judgment. We need to come out. Not only is God saying come out because this system of corruption is killing the saints, is martyr, you know, the the martyrs are being are having their blood shed by this same system and leadership. We are then called right after coming out to measure back to her the judgment. So we're actually called by God to join in his judgment of Harlot Babylon. And how can we judge Harlot Babylon if we are still one foot in, one foot out? That makes no sense. That's like saying I'm going to judge myself. So this just illustrates, again, the importance of this time and coming out of Babylon. Coming out of Babylon, we don't have time now to completely unpack, but I would encourage you to go to our website, newbreed.co. And if you look at uh, the coming out of Babylon tab, it has a lot of great information about how do I practically do that? How do I financially do that? Is my job tied into Babylon? Am I partnered with Babylon in my stock ownership and portfolio? So these are good questions to ask. And then you can go through and process that. We're around twice a week uh, as a group, as a community, to pray with you, answer questions. We meet together on Mondays and Wednesdays. 
And it's to understand this meaning, what is it to believe in the gospel of the kingdom and come out of Babylon? How do we embrace the very business models and economic models and financial models that the Lord himself will employ upon his physical return, managing the whole earth along with the saints? And he is essentially encouraging us, as you come out of Babylon, you can enter into that kingdom of mine forever. And it's a kingdom of giving and receiving rather than taking what's mine or fighting for a piece of the pie and killing one another to, to do it. Um, that Those are kind of description describing it to two extremes. But the system of the world is not about the exaltation of Jesus. It's about profit making. And ultimately, it's that decision we all have to face where Jesus says, do you worship me? Or do you worship the power and the money that achieves things as the kings of the earth achieve them? And so that's really our talk today. There's much more to that. It's all tied together. If you look at Revelation 3 and the Laodicean church, we were praying for that earlier today. The Western church would come out of that Laodicean state of comfort and state of complacency into a place of having the gold tried by fire and the true riches are stored in heaven, not onto the earth. The world has convinced us that you need to store up your treasures on the earth to survive, to thrive, to have for your retirement, for whatever the purposes are you think you have for the earth. That's the world's way of doing it. God says, Take your unrighteous mammon and buy yourself friends for eternity. Go after the true riches. Sell everything you've got and buy the pearl of great price. Buy that field that is the treasure and sell everything you got to purchase that. And that's really a picture of our lives that we're willing to give our lives and our treasure and everything about ourselves over to Jesus and his kingdom. And that's the way forward. And when the shakings come, that Pastor W talked about, we will be secure because we've already been up to something. We've already been up to an economic transformation. Uh, Pastor W was saying that we, we, when we give our lives to Christ, we become a new creation, a new creature, a new man. That's why we're called the new breed of business, because we're meant to transform, not in words only, but in deeds. And that deed those deeds affect everything in our lives, especially economic, financial, business, and otherwise. That's also why, by the way, the harlot sits on, or arguably you could say that the harlot sits on the seven mountains, this is in Revelation 17, of the dragon or the beast system. And those very well could be the seven mountains that we also talk about, the seven mountains of culture. Those Mountains are either going to go the way of the kingdom or they're going to go the way of the beast and the, and the harlot and the antichrist. And so we're being called to action and not just deeds, not just words, but deeds in coming out of Babylon. And that means in our pocketbook, that means in our jobs, that means in our communities, that means loving one another, that means repersonalizing commerce and all of the rest of it. So God bless you guys today. And thanks, Jonathan, for the opportunity to teach. Mm -hmm.